Our scripture reading this morning comes from Paul's letter to the Colossians. We begin in chapter 2 with verse 6. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than in Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your faith, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a, a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dearest Lord, there are so many competing ideas and thoughts that we encounter every day. And all of them supposedly are true. But there is only one truth. And it's not found on the internet. It's not found in the newspaper. It's not found in the places that we seek out for what we believe to be true. But it's in your word, because only there is the one true word. And so, Lord, when we look for those things that we want to hang on to, when we want to believe in what's right and wrong, we look to you. We look to what you have said, what you have done, and what you have put in your scriptures for us to learn. And so, Lord, as Pastor Mike comes forward this morning to teach, you have given him words, but they are from you. And so we look forward to what he has to teach us. We want to take that into our hearts and to know what we can do to follow more closely what you are teaching and how you want us to live this life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. If I didn't get to see you uh, earlier today outside, I'm, I apologize. It's always good to be able to touch base with people and uh, tell you you're the beloved of God, and so I'm grateful to be here leading this morning. A couple of prefatory comments as I go towards the preaching of the word of our everlasting God. First, you saw the slide earlier today about the Kenwood Park United Methodist Church needing a little bit of help. They're, they're, they're cleaning up still from the derecho. They're an older congregation, and they need a little bit of young muscle. So I encourage you, if you're not free, can you make yourself free, a few of you, uh, next Saturday morning, 
at 9 a.m. If you have wheels or carts to bring, that would be great. Um, we really believe, our United Methodist men, that we can help that older congregation turn a page. You know, they're in that neighborhood that's just kind of off of First Avenue from um, in the neighborhood of town and country. So those homes are being repopulated by younger people. So we hope to help Mary, uh, Kenwood Park jump into a new age. But uh, they have some uh, mostly octogenarians as their congregation. So if we can provide them a little beef on Saturday to help them out a little bit, that would be great. Um, secondly, uh, you smelled the barbecue when you came in, if you're here in, in person, right? I um, want to uh, invite you that if you, if you have a meal, to pick it up on your way out. Um, and if you don't, they, they don't overrun too much, but there might be one or two things that they might be able to send home with you if you um, kind of mill about uh, afterwards. And then <clears throat> I want to welcome all of you to worship, those of you that are here at 5050. And I really want to talk to you... Uh, those of you that are part of our church online so i know because you reach out to me sometimes that there's a few of you in florida some in texas and a couple in colorado springs i just want to say this in a way you understand it stay there it is freezing here <laughs> first amen of the day right there um and if you're here in town or in lynn county uh worshiping with us online we're glad you're here and hopefully you stay plenty warm. So <clears throat> Simon and I are working you through this sermon series on a biblical worldview. So I want to start laying in the first minute and some groundwork that we touched on last week. A worldview is really the fundamental framework from which we view reality and make sense of the life and the world in which we live. We each have a worldview. We all see the world uh, in ways that make sense of our life and the events that come to us. Now, sometimes those worldviews are not always based in reality. And we need to make sure our worldview is based in reality. It reminds me of kind of the dreamy-eyed 19-year-old girl who had a boyfriend and she liked him a lot and her parents weren't so sure of him. And, and she said, Mom, Dad, what don't you like about him? And they said, well, he's kind of scruffy and the way he talks and the way he treats you and stuff like that. She says, but Mom and Dad, you know he's a great guy. Who else would be doing 500 hours of community service? <laughs> well, our worldview needs to be based in reality. Of course, those of you over here probably remember the, the two cows that were talking to each other back in the mad cow disease in Europe. Do you remember this story? Yeah? Okay. Well, one cow said to the other cow, he says, boy, have you heard about this mad cow disease? It's all over Europe right now. He says, yeah. The other cow says, yeah, I am so glad I'm a penguin. <laughs> okay. All right. Silliness aside, just had to make sure you were still with me. Um, and those on you and the church online can roll your eyes early today. Um, but silliness aside, dreamy 19-year-olds and disrupted cows aside, we each have a worldview through which we make sense of the world and life. And last week, I noted three questions that each worldview must address. First, where do we come from and who are we? Second, uh, what's gone wrong with the world? And third, how do we fix it? Now, Christians believe the scriptures answer each. So let's look today specifically at what is a biblical worldview. The biblical worldview sees everything through the lens of Scripture. You just heard Simon say that. Everything we see 
through the lens of Scripture. So when we ask, where do we come from and who are we? We come from God, the divine creator of all things, of everything that was, everything that's going to be, and everything that is. We are independent beings whose reason for existence is to love and to serve God. What has gone wrong with the world? Well, God's providential love allows freedom in the world. And because freedom is allowed, humans sometimes have used that freedom to turn away from God's way and towards the ways of their own, which of course leads us into sin. But when we're led away from God's purposes, how do we fix it? We can't. This is what Scripture is clear in teaching us. Only Creator can. And He sends a Savior that we know as Jesus the Messiah. And creation is only fixed when we authentically and fully receive Him. So, Knowing that, and, and putting this simply, we say, what are the components? What are the main components of a biblical worldview? Now, those of you that have the church app, I will tell you this, that the church app has these all-in-one slide, which we can't do in here, so it might be easier for you when you get home to take a screenshot of that, and then you'll have those eight things if you want to wonder what we said today. But let's begin. I'm going to go fast, so listen fast, because I just want to lay this as background first. One of the components of the biblical worldview is absolute truths exist. Absolute truths do exist. Certainly, if you were to say that, one of your friends would say, but there are no absolutes. Everything is situational. Everything is relative to the moment and the context we find ourselves in. And, and you say to them, so there are no absolutes? And are you saying that there are no absolutes, and in saying there's no absolutes, are you absolutely sure of that? Uh-oh, right? If there's absolutes, there's absolutes. Absolute truth is whatever is always valid, regardless of parameters, regardless of context. There are physical absolutes that exist. It's simply true. Gravity, oxygen, and water are all necessary for human life on earth. We, we cannot live without any one of those three fully and completely. Uh, there are moral absolute, uh, absolutes as well. Moral absolutes exist. I'm just going to talk about one. It is always wrong in every context, in every, co uh, in, in every corner of the earth, in every parameter, that murder for personal gain is wrong. It's always wrong. Murder for personal gain is always wrong. Those are absolutes. Absolute truths exist. Secondly, absolute truth is defined by the Bible. Now understand this, those of you that read Scripture, those of you that, 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 that align with a Christian or a biblical worldview, the Bible is either a book of absolute truths or it's a bunch of lies. It can only be one or the other. It can only be one or the other. It is either a book of absolute truths or is all lies. The biblical worldview is rooted in the truth of Scripture. Not our feelings, because our feelings can betray us. Our, our feelings aren't that important to the biblical truth. Biblical truth in a biblical worldview is rooted in the truth of Scripture, not our feelings, because our feelings may, may encourage us to deny parts of Scripture while accepting the parts that are favorite to us. Third, Jesus Christ led a sinful life, a sinless life. Whoa. A sinless life. Because I think I say that because a lot of you are probably in your in your Christian heart saying, well, duh, 
But be careful here. Because there are many, and I'll use air quotes, Christian leaders now that are teaching that Jesus was a really good guy. He was a great example to follow. He was a magnificent teacher, and he was a wonderful moral leader, but a man in every way. He was not the Lord. And it was possible for him as a man to commit sin. You need to understand that this is entirely and completely wrong in Christian theology. Jesus is fully man, and he was fully tempted. And he was perfect in rejecting sin. Perfect and undefeated in rejecting sin. And while Jesus is fully man, he is also fully God, in that through him, the Creator and the Spirit offer salvation. Through him we are saved, and him alone. Fourth, God is the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present creator of the universe and rules it today. Don't miss that last part of the sentence. God was before time. He's in this epoch that we know is time. That is what, what we're cognizant of now, and he will be after what we know as time. And importantly, creation is ruled by God. It is not created and then abandoned. God doesn't, in a sense, make creation. Look at human beings and say, good luck with all that. That's not what happens. God is ruling even now. He has not left his place of sovereignty, and we need to remember that. Fifth, salvation is a gift from God that cannot be earned. Now, one of the things that we sometimes wonder about is, can I undo where I have been? And the answer is no. We cannot undo the history of our rebellion. We cannot undo the things that we did 10 years ago. We can't even undo the mistakes or the sins that we've created or, 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 or maybe even perfected this morning. But what God does is he changes the trajectory of our lives. He changes maybe where it is that we're fully aimed at through his forgiveness. And our responsibility is to believe it's true. Our responsibility is to accept that salvation is a gift from God that cannot be earned. And in our lives, we bore down on that, what we might call the gospel in miniature, which we found in the third chapter of John, where Christ says about himself, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. We cannot earn that. It can only be given to us. Sixth, and I gotta tell you, this is the hard one. Satan is real. This is the hardest one for the North American Christian to really grasp on to, for the most part. God has allowed imperfection to be a part of his perfect creation. And Satan is the result of free choice. He saw the way of God, he chose a different way. I understand how difficult that is for many of us to say, but we don't want Satan to be real. I don't. But the fact of the matter is, scriptural worldview says he is. Seventh, Christians have a responsibility to share their faith with other people. When the disciples are called by our Lord Jesus Christ, that is to say, the first words that Jesus says to people that are not John the Baptist in the scripture are, leave your nets, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. And the last words that Jesus said, which he says on the mountain of Galilee, as the resurrected Christ, 
fully bodied, resurrected Jesus, perfect in every way, the last words he gives to his disciples are what is known as the Great Commission. You know, I mean, the Great Commandment. Go into all the world and make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is to say that one of the marks of a disciple is we give our witness to others, to, to encourage them, to coax them, to, to draw them in through our winsome testimony of Jesus Christ's impact in our lives to a faith in Christ. The, the, the Christian faith, um, the biblical worldview says we share our faith with other people. And eighth, the Bible is accurate in all of its teachings. They are either to be followed or they are to, not to be followed. And the biblical worldview says the scriptures are accurate. So there's your, there's your groundwork. And we're reminded then in that that any worldview that we have is meant to be lived. Worldviews are meant to be lived. To be a Christian, and that is what we aspire to be, and I unapologetically teach that, to, to be a Christian is to say that we are going to live out a biblical worldview. That is to view reality with the eyes of our, of our spirit and soul is we're going to make sense of life and reality through the lens of Scripture. Now be cautious here because of great concern is this writing and the research by George Barna of Barna Research Group. Barna wrote two years ago, so pre-pandemic, this. Although most people own a Bible and some know some of its content, most Americans have little idea how to integrate the core principles to form a unified and meaningful response to the challenges and opportunities of life. I didn't put that on the screen, so I'm going to repeat that. George Barner writes, although most people own a Bible and know some of its content, most Americans have little idea how to integrate core principles to form a unified and meaningful response to the challenges and opportunities of life. This cannot be where we find ourselves. It is the compelling reason for a church like ours to continue to have vital ongoing, growing programs of education, of growth groups, of, 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 of groups that gather together to help us understand and to encourage us on in living out our worldview. Francis Chan, who's kind of a preacher of this day, and you can follow him on uh, Spotify or whatnot if, if you want to, wrote this, don't fall into the trap of studying the scripture without doing what it says. This is incredibly important. Because the work of the church is not to make smarter sinners. It's not to, to populate, you know, the regions of the lower domains with people that know more about the Scripture. It is that we are supposed to put Scripture into play and the teachings thereof in our daily life. So the Christian belief or Christian belief must go hand in hand with Christian practice. So here's your $1 words. I'm not smart enough to give you $10 words We'll lean on Simon for those in the next few weeks. But one word is orthodoxy. And orthodoxy is the true, pure, right beliefs of the Christian church. Orthodoxy. Orthodoxy means simply that. The biblical teachings as they appear without addition, without subtraction, without modification. Now, it is to go hand in hand with what's called orthopraxy. Orthopraxy. Praxy is what it sounds like, that orthodox practice, to practice the, the beliefs of the church as they come, or the beliefs of, 
of, of the scriptures. So orthodoxy and orthopraxy means talking the talk cannot be separated from walking the walk. In verse 6, you have this little warning. It says from Paul saying to the Christians in Colossae, you have received Christ Jesus as Lord. Continue to live your lives in him. Not around him, not near him, but absolutely in here, in him. Most simply, what that means is we are to become what we are. And what are we? We are born into a new life in Christ. This is not simply a possibility. It's a reality. And it's not an automatic reality. See, Christ has done his work by coming and allowing himself. Not only did he teach, not only did he preach, not only did he heal, but he allowed himself. He wasn't forced upon the cross. He gave himself as a redemption for our lives to be hung on a cross in the most humiliating death that the Romans could think of. He did his work. Christ has done his work. We need to live out our work in the daily life of seeking to live a biblical worldview. And as Christians, we are not powerless spectators in life. We are North Americans. We have all the necessary resources. Every necessary resource we need for Christian living has been given to us and has been made available for us prior to us even coming to this building or clicking on to our computer screen today. The motivation for all of this is the best life. The best life that is saturated and brimming fill, full of joy and thankfulness. In a world of ideas, we stake our lives on God's word. All philosophy is not bad. I have to say this because I think it's under, we, we need to understand that. All philosophy is not bad. Plus, I paid a lot of money for a philosophy degree once. So all philosophy can't be bad. But philosophy in its purest form is the love of wisdom. But if one loves wisdom that is not Christ, he or she loves an empty idol. Philosophies not of God can ensnare, can trap the believer. And Paul is writing against the false philosophies of his day. Now, I did a lot of study this week and last week to figure out what is Paul so worried about? What is the philosophy? What is the, you know, the brand of heresy that he's, he's writing against? And to be honest with you, biblical scholars way brighter than me can't pin down exactly what heresy he's writing towards. And he's never been to Colossae, to, to where the place he's writing to. So he hasn't witnessed it firsthand. <clears throat> he's only heard about it, <clears throat> and he knows the culture. So what seems to be clear in his writing is, is that he's he has he seen that human rules are being recommended as supplements necessary to Christ. Is that you have to do these things in addition to receiving Christ as your Lord and Savior and living into that. And that's why he writes, in, in, in right in the middle there, in Colossians 2, 8, Vicki read it a moment ago, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. We all know what hollow and deceptive philosophy is when we see it. Which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of the world rather than on Christ. So we need to make sure that we're in line with Christianity. Now this is my one Baptist quote for the day. There's a, there's a pastor named Tony Evans. And in regards to this passage, he wrote this. 
The message of the gospel has been handed down to you by the apostles. You have received that faith. Now walk in it. I apologize. Paul knew that there was nothing more important, nothing better than the apostolic teachings that were handed down from himself, from, from Peter, from James, John, Matthew, all the rest of the disciples. There was nothing more necessary than that because they'd received that teaching directly from the source, which is Jesus Christ himself. And no teaching needed to be added to that. Christ never said, well, take this and then add this or that to it. That's not what is necessary. So if we look at the background and background the Colossians a little bit, the Colossians were exposed to three main influences. They were exposed to the New Testament evangelists telling them of Christ. Those are people that the disciples had trained and sent out there. The Jewish influences that were part of their culture and the pagan influences that would have been contemporary to them. Now the danger for the Colossians, and which is why Paul writes, and for us is that an eclectic religion, not Christianity, can emerge here. An eclectic religion. Now, now, what that means is, the result then would, been, would be syncretism. The amalgamation or the attempted amalgamation of different religions, cultures, or schools of thought. It's a smorgasbord religion. We'll take a pinch of Islam here. We'll take a pinch of Christianity here. We'll throw some pagan stuff in here. We'll throw some Hinduism in here. we throw some Judaism, and we have us a smorgasbord religion. It's one that fits my values and things I like, but I want to tell you, and what Paul is saying is about this eclectic religion that is, is picked from bits and pieces there. It is to religion what a jackalope is to the animal kingdom, okay? There is no such thing. You cannot find a jackrabbit with antlers on it. Nor can you find a religion that you take bits and pieces of this and smash it alone because Christ alone is sufficient. That is the biblical worldview, that Christ alone is is sufficient. So here's the big finish. The Christian with a biblical worldview believes these things. The Word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than a two-edged sword cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. Scripture will never be irrelevant. It's always going to be shiny as a brand new dime because it addresses the universal needs of all people. To know God, to experience forgiveness, and to know how the Lord would have us live. To know God, to experience forgiveness, and to know how the Lord would have us live. Times may change, and they will. I mean, my goodness sake, most everybody in this room, most everybody in, in, that's here with us worshiping as the church online was born before we walked around with phones in our pocket and certainly before we walked around with little computers in our pocket. The world changes. Times change. But God's word does not change. For in it, we find the principles that will change our lives today and in every generation. The Christian with a biblical worldview believes that the role of the church is to teach an unapologetic truth. And I want to make sure that you understand that. The, the, the role of the church is to teach the unapologetic truth. When I was called to ministry, it is very clear that that was my call and my aim in every time that I speak in this or another pulpit like it is to fulfill that aim. That is what we're called to do. We don't get to make up some other truth. 
The problem is, and the problem that we see in a lot of North American Christianity, and I don't want this to hurt anybody's feeling, I don't want it to hurt any of my colleagues' feeling, but here's what often is the problem. We are often taught what we think or what feels good to us. Oftentimes people take Christian pulpits and teach what they think, what their great ideas are, or what feels good to them. The teaching of what is popular and preferred brutalizes people in the long run. It devastates their soul. It takes them far from Christ because it is neither founded in truth or does it have any depth, and it can only lead to personal, emotional, and spiritual disaster and bankruptcy. Understand that to be true because that is the context. That is, that is the voice that I seek to channel when I'm here because the unapologetic truth of God is put before us in the scriptures of the Old and New Testament and it is our call. And the Christian with a biblical worldview believes in this concise truth, that there are two answers to every question, God's and everybody else's. There is no gray area here. Our answers, our living either aligns with God's or it does not. Don't mistake me in that. Thousands, thousands of pages have been written about that. But the Christian worldview is always to align life and life decisions with God's answers, always. There is no gray area here. Only God is always correct. Only God's word is perfect. Perfect. The, the, the Christian with a biblical worldview believes that they are to see and live every day and every way through that lens. And the lens that Christ, that, that the Lord gives us in, in, in the words of David in Psalm 119. All your words, all your words, God, are true. All your righteous laws are eternal. Uh, this is the truth. This is the, this is the core of the biblical worldview. I hope that you review it. It's there on the church app. You can look over kind of what I said today. You can watch again the talk if you'd like but it's important for us to understand and it's important for us to pledge our lives to go in that direction now years ago the the methodist movement was founded by john wesley and others from the holy club uh, at at, at uh, oxford in in england and one of the things wesley did was write a covenant prayer for the people known as methodists now united methodists one of my friends in omaha rewrote it for today and i'm going to close my portion with directing us towards living a biblical worldview through craig's words if you would would you would you pray with me i was once mine from this point forward i'm yours make clear my purposes in life place me among my loved ones and expand my heart to love all Help me to think the things you want me to think. Say the things you want me to say. Do the things you want me to do, even if it means I am belittled, ignored, or, or criticized. Give me people to encourage, serve, and love. Give me times of peace and rest so I can love and be loved by you. Let me be a light to a dark world so people can see you working in me. Make me humble and remind me that everything I have is because of you. Thank you for times of happiness and prosperity. They are a gift. Thank you for your presence and promise in days of sadness and hardship. I emerge from them stronger and wiser. 
Let me discover, embrace, and fulfill your will for my life. With joy and in fullness, I give my possessions, my time, and my energy to you and your purposes. Almighty, holy, and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are my true love, and I'm yours. And so it is. Let this covenant I'm making here on earth be acceptable and pleasing to you. Amen.